I never worked for Russia. Not only did I never work for Russia, I think it's a disgrace that you even asked that question. Well, there's a lot, uh, a lot of disgraces today, isn't there? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Yes, there is. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in rainy Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also up in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountain on KKRN, Eureka on KGOE. On the central coast of Oregon on KYAQ and Cottage Grove on KSO in Eugene on KEPW. In Pennsylvania on Lancaster on WLRI and Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans and WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Goldendale, Washington on KVGD, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, We are live in the luxurious KPFK studios. I may uh, have some time to open the uh, phone lines in a little bit. If you want to get in line, our phone number is 818-985-5735. But we've got a lot to get to today. First, a major rainstorm is pounding us here in Los Angeles this week. But it is the new voting system that is being pretty quietly installed into the nation's largest voting jurisdiction out here in L.A. in advance of the 2020 presidential election that has me the most worried, and maybe you too after today's show. We'll see. With all the fuss and concern over a new voting system in the state of Well, in the uh, Republican-ish state of Georgia, which is being installed by state Republicans and voting officials and private voting system vendors to replace that state's nearly 20-year-old 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreen systems. Uh, And it looks like it's going to be replaced with another 100% unverifiable touchscreen system. With all of that going on, we are actually doing the same thing here in Los Angeles under Democratic elected and election officials. And yet no one, it seems, other than me, is yelling and screaming about it. We'll talk about all of the above in the nation's computer science and voting system experts who wrote a letter last week basically begging the state of Georgia not to install the type of systems that L.A. is now installing here. We'll speak with 
Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance. Uh, she has been leading the fight, frankly, across the country in court and in particular in Georgia against such systems. That's coming up momentarily. She'll be joining me. But first, a mountain of news to try and quickly summarize here. Wish me luck. Winter weather across much of the country today and over the past several uh, resulting uh, has resulted in a heavy killer snowstorm from the Rockies to the mid-Atlantic. The highest snow total over the weekend was some 20 inches in Columbia, Missouri, and nearly as much in parts of my old hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. Damaging ice from freezing rain was reported in parts of North Carolina and Virginia up to the nation's capital. The storm has so far resulted in at least 10 deaths across several states and in D.C., where uh, much of the town was already shut down thanks to the longest federal government shutdown in the nation's history, which continues today as Donald Trump refuses to back off his demand for $5.7 billion to begin construction of his southern border wall. The federal government itself was shut down entirely on Monday, not just a partial shutdown, but entirely on Monday because of the winter weather. Of course, the fight continues over that wall, which uh, largely everyone but Donald Trump says will not do what Donald Trump continues to pretend it will do, namely slow down the number of refugees one way or another coming from Central America in hopes of seeking asylum in the U.S., nor will it slow down the amount of drugs which come into the country via plane, boat, and other legal points of entry into the U.S. via cars and trucks, not over areas where Donald Trump wants to build his wall, if we even knew exactly what those areas were. Of course, the fight continues over the wall, which, you know, everyone says just simply will not result in what Donald Trump claims it will result in. And the American people are starting to notice in poll after poll as they blame the president and Republicans for the shutdown and uh, come out against this wall entirely by double digits in many cases. Nonetheless, the partial government shutdown over Trump's demands have now resulted in the longest shutdown of uh, the government in U.S. history, affecting some 800,000 federal workers, their families and much more around the country as we spend a lot of last week's uh, episodes of the broadcast reporting on each day. Also reverberating still today in D.C. and across the country, the New York Times late Friday report that the FBI had formally opened a counterintelligence investigation in 2017 into whether Donald Trump was working knowingly or otherwise on behalf of Russia. Trump on Monday denied that he has ever worked for Moscow after uh, failing over the weekend while on Fox News to answer a direct question about that. He uh, insisted to reporters this morning outside the White House that he never worked for Russia and felt it was a disgrace that he was even asked such a question. Well, I somewhat agree with him on that. Uh, does Yeah, you had a, a oh, thought. Oh, I just we have on? the actual audio clip of him saying that. Like clip one. Clip one, if you got I never it. worked for Russia, and you know that answer better than anybody. I never worked for Russia. Not only did I never work for Russia, I think it's a disgrace that you even asked that question because it's a whole big fat hoax. It's just a hoax. 
says the president of the United States. And while he may he finally gave an answer to that question, true or not, I will leave to others to determine. Uh, White House senior advisor and uh, frequent media spokesperson Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway, a Republican activist and attorney, says that Trump's response should not be taken at face value. He said it's a disgrace. This was on Twitter. It's a disgrace that nothing Trump says, not even his denial of something as extraordinary as this, uh, as extraordinary as this, can be taken at face value. That is the husband of Kelly Ann Conway calling out the president and saying, nope, can't take it at face value. That, uh, that this is now even a question about the president of the United States, a question that led the FBI to determine they needed to open an official counterintelligence probe into whether the president of the United States was knowingly or unknowingly uh, knowingly a Russian agent is, of course, something that I thought we would never be discussing here. But uh, if you have any thoughts on that or the rest of the mountain of news, we will barely climb today. I'll try, as I said, to open up the phone lines to you a little bit later. 818-985-5735. Meanwhile, Trump's nominee for attorney general, William Barr, who was highly critical of the special counsel Robert Mueller probe and whether a sitting president can even legally be investigated at all by a special counsel, Uh, He will have his confirmation hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee this week. Taking the offensive, Barr released his prepared opening statement today, revealing that he plans to tell senators that it is, quote, vitally important that Mueller be allowed to complete his Russia investigation. And he said he believes Congress and the public should be allowed to learn the results. Oh, well, that's thoughtful. Barr also insisted in his prepared remarks that he'll uh, deliver on Tuesday that Trump never sought any promises, assurances or commitments from him before selecting him to be the country's chief law enforcement officer. In releasing the uh, written testimony, according to AP, Barr is hoping to preempt many expected questions from Democrats on the judiciary panel including whether he can oversee without bias or interference the final stages of Mueller's probe, if in fact we are at the final stages, into the potential ties between Russia and the 2016 Trump campaign, and whether Barr will permit the findings to be made public. He says, quote, I believe it is in the best interest of everyone, the president, Congress, and most importantly, the American people, that this matter be resolved by allowing the special counsel to complete his work. Meanwhile, out here in California today, it's also a big news day on several fronts. Uh, One of the fronts is the front end of this week-long winter storm I mentioned with rains that could be very damaging in areas devastated by last week's Last year's, I should say, record wildfires. It feels like last week. Last year's record wildfires. Even as uh, Donald Trump last week did order, via tweet anyway, a cutoff to FEMA funding for California wildfire recovery. That's what he said on Twitter. Whether that happens in real life, well, we'll see. Um, He has repeatedly and inaccurately blamed those fires on state forest management and some absurd Fox News presented a conspiracy that a water shortage was somehow responsible for the infernos across the state. 
The record fire season out here last year, of course, resulted in the destruction of hundreds of thousands of acres across the state, along with tens of thousands of homes and other structures and the deaths of more than 100 residents. And while it's pouring outside today, and frankly, Desi Doyen, a bit strange to be talking about wildfires in the bargain with all of this rain coming down. Um, yes, it is. It, it's weird. It, it is weird. But uh, the largest of the climate change fueled fires last year actually appear to have been sparked uh, thanks to maintenance failures by the state's largest privately owned utility company. That's Pacific Gas and Electric, or PG&E, which announced today that they are now seeking bankruptcy protection due to uh, tens of billions in legal liabilities for those fires. Just as we had discussed, as I think in one or more of our uh, Green News reports, that uh, PG&E might be looking at when it became clear that PG&E failures may have led to some of the worst infernos. Uh, Des, PG&E declaring bankruptcy? What's What's the quick story on that news today? Okay, so to be clear, what they've done is that they have announced to the state and to their own employees that they're required to do this by law, that they plan to file for bankruptcy at the end of this month. So it's a preliminary... Uh, filing that is required. Uh, right now, uh, to give you a sense of how bad things are for PG&E, Bloomberg News had the headline today, PG&E throws everything overboard, still sinking. Mm. Yeah, it's not good at all. No. Um, so they're facing up to $30 billion in potential liabilities. That's from a lawsuit that was filed against PNG- PG&E for its involvement in the 2017 wine country fires. Remember those? Quite catastrophic. Yeah, and that was before all of these uh, fires fires late in the year uh, before Thanksgiving, yeah, the campfire and so forth. That was last year. Yeah. So on top of that, now they have yep. liabilities from the 2018 campfire. But so that's $30 billion in liabilities that they're potentially looking at. But their fire insurance only covers $1.4 billion. So they're considerably underinsured yeah, for the potential outcomes of these. They're already under investigation right now by state regulators about whether their equipment and their failure to maintain their equipment is what has what ignited the campfire. It's it's pretty clear right now. Investigators believe that PG&E's equipment caused the wine country fires uh, the year before. So uh, so right, this is equipment that what was not properly maintained was in uh, areas where uh, wires were toppled. Do we actually know? what it is, where PG&E is supposedly accountable here? For example, right before the campfire that obliterated the town of Paradise in Mm -hmm. Northern California, right before that, PG&E had noted that they had an equipment disruption uh, near in the area where the fire was sparked. And a firefighter actually saw the fire starting in a field underneath Mm. a PG&E utility pole. You know, in the wine country fires, it was the same thing. Their utility poles got knocked down. So that sparked 17 fires simultaneously. So there's a considerable number of of issues that are involved with PG&E's equipment. Now, remember, in 2010, there was that gas pipeline explosion in the Bay Area community of San Bruno that Mm -hmm. killed eight people and destroyed 38 homes. That was a natural gas pipeline owned by PG&E that they were later found liable for because they had falsified inspection reports. 
Wow. And then people died from that. So they have a very long history of, uh, you know, skirting the maintenance. Uh, yeah, they do. So that's a huge problem. Which is exactly what I thought. When, when you had first reported last year, early last year, I guess it was, about the wine country fires and that it might have been sparked by PG&E and lack of maintenance, I'm thinking, how are these people going to – how is this company – going to survive if they are uh, made accountable for, at that time, just those wine country fires, which were so devastating. Add to that now, the fires later in the year, uh, record uh, deaths, record uh, acres, record size, etc. I mean, yeah, uh, how this company is going to uh, persist to exist at all if they are actually held liable uh, for for what they appear to have done, that's an interesting question. And what happens when the largest uh, utility company in the state can't survive? That's another issue as well that we're going to be talking about, hopefully, in the days ahead. Yes, absolutely. Now, there are a lot of people who would be harmed by PG&E if they did end up finally filing for bankruptcy and did not, for example, get a bailout from the state of California. That's also a potential pathway forward. So you've got uh, their employees, of course, would be harmed. There would be the victims of these fires that, uh, you know, have been, as you said, the costliest, most destructive fires in state history. And also there are retirees and other people living on pensions and uh, returns from bonds that they've invested in, they would also be harmed. PG&E's stock price fell 50 percent, uh, and it's lost two-thirds of its market value just in the just last couple today. of months. Just yeah. today. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it plummeted 50 percent after that announcement today. Thank you, Desi Doyen. At the same time, I told you it was big news day out here in California. Here in Los Angeles, uh, tens of thousands of L.A. teachers went on strike on Monday after contentious contract negotiations failed in the nation's second largest school district. But schools were still open nonetheless with the help of substitute teachers and a vow by district officials that, quote, there will be learning. Teachers Union President Alex Caputo-Pearl told a cheering crowd of educators marching in pouring rain, that students are uh, said to students, we are striking for you. L.A. Unified School District Superintendent Austin Butner insisted we were going to have a normal day at school today anyway. The district tweeted that all of its uh, elementary, middle and high schools were open, but that early education centers were only open to special needs students and state preschool sites were closed. Members of United Teachers Los Angeles voted last week to walk off the job for the first time in three decades if a deal was not reached on issues including higher wages, smaller class sizes, months of talks between the union with 35,000 members and the district ended without a deal. It follows teacher walkouts in other states across the country. Um, Superintendent Butner told C uh, KCBS today, we want uh, many of the same things that the teachers want. We'd like to reduce class size. We want to make sure we have counselors, nurses, librarians in schools. But we've been unable to reach an agreement because we have limits of what we can afford to do, said Butner. Uh, schools will stay open because the uh, district with 640,000 students has hired hundreds of substitutes to replace teachers and others who leave for the picket lines. The union has called it irresponsible to hire substitutes and has called on parents to consider keeping students home. 
or join the marchers. The union rejected a district offer on Friday to hire nearly 1,200 new teachers, counselors, nurses, and librarians, and to reduce class sizes by just two students each. The union wants significantly smaller class sizes, which in Los Angeles now routinely top 30 students. Teachers are hoping to to build on the Red for Ed movement that began last year in uh, in West Virginia and moved to many Republican-leaning states, including Oklahoma, Kentucky, Arizona, as well as Colorado and Washington State. It spread from right-wing states with the so-called right-to-work laws that limit the ability to, uh, to, to strike to the more liberal West Coast states with stronger unions. The union argues that the district is hoarding reserves of $1.8 billion that could be used to fund the pay and staffing hikes. The district said that money is needed to cover retiree benefits and other expenses. The union says Butner, an investment banker, uh, who, who is now the uh, superintendent, uh, he's, was an investment banker and a former L.A. deputy mayor, Without any experience in education, they charge that he is trying to privatize the district. The union says the administration is encouraging school uh, closures and flipping public schools into charters, which are privately uh, operated public schools that compete for students and the funds that they bring in. Los Angeles may have the second largest school district in the country, but it is the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation. And it's about to undergo a major change for voters, including a move to 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting system ballot marking devices at the polling places across Los Angeles, which two dozen computer science, security and voting system experts just last week warned the state of Georgia, advised them that they should not move to for a number of reasons that we'll discuss after a quick break here today in what I have been trying to warn Los Angeles voters about specifically uh, for at least five years now to uh, little avail. I'm glad to see the computer scientists jumping into the game. Marilyn Marks joins us next for the latest on the fight for verifiable voting in Georgia and in Los Angeles and elsewhere around the country, and even some good news on voting in New York for a change. Take a quick break, and we'll be back with that. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at Brad bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Well, I love L.A. too. The sun is not always shining, at least not today. 
Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, L.A. here and about what should be a very alarming moment for L.A. voters as the nation's largest voting jurisdiction transitions before the 2020 presidential election to an all-new voting system, which includes 100% unverifiable touchscreen-style ballot-marking devices that create computer-marked and barcoded ballot summary cards that nobody can know after an election whether or not those so-called paper ballots actually reflect the will of any voter. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. But to get to L.A. and the concerns that I've been uh, trying to get across for many years now, uh, we sort of need to get uh, to get here via supposedly progressive New York and the Republican controlled but purple state of Georgia, where Republicans are desperately hoping to remain in control, specifically of a similarly 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting system. New York, of course, is regarded by many as one of the more uh, so-called liberal states in the union, but their voting systems and election procedures have long been wildly restrictive and antiquated. That may all finally be changing beginning this week, though it may take a while, according to The New York Times today. During last year's contentious midterm elections, they report, New York was the only state in the nation that held separate state and federal primary elections, a bifurcation that almost seemed designed to suppress voter turnout, the Times reports, and that's because it is designed to suppress voter turnout, which favors incumbents. Early voting, vote by mail, and same-day voter registration are all now fairly basic voting uh, policies in many states, but not in the state of New York. But now, with Democrats finally in firm control of both chambers of the uh, state capitol and the governor's office, things are about to change the paper reports. Legislative leaders said they intend to pass what they describe as a voting reform package this week to overhaul the state's voting laws among the most restrictive in the nation. The measures include allowing early voting pre-registration of 16- and 17-year-olds, and consolidating state and federal primary elections, which are now held in different months. Lawmakers also plan to pass bills to allow vote-by-mail and same-day voter registration, though those proposals will also require voter referendums and passage by the next legislature, which is uh, not scheduled to be seated until 2021, in order uh, after the voters maybe change the state constitution. So it will take a while and is long overdue, but New York may finally be seeing a progressive change to its outdated and purposely restrictive elections regime. And speaking of restrictive election regimes... The state of Georgia remains one of the nation's worst, which we were reminded of again throughout last year during the midterms uh, as uh, then-Republican Secretary of State Brian Kemp oversaw his own gubernatorial election against Democrat Democrat, uh, Stacey Abrams while carrying out some of the worst voter suppression seen in the nation since the Jim Crow era. Kemp also insisted, despite lawsuits, to move the state to the same hand-marked paper ballots that have been in use for years across the uh, Peach State for absentee voting. He insisted that the 100 percent unverifiable Diebold touchscreen systems used there since 2002 
be used once again for his gubernatorial election last year during midterms as he somehow managed to, reportedly anyway, barely beat out uh, Abrams to win his uh, governor's race on the machines that have results that can never be verified. At the same time, while Secretary of State, Kemp created what he called the Secure, Accessible, and Fair Elections, or SAFE, Commission. That's a 16-member panel to recommend whether the state should move to a verifiable hand-marked paper ballot system or to an unverifiable touchscreen system, another one, but this one that prints computer-marked and barcoded ballot summary cards akin to the ones, embarrassingly, that Los Angeles is now moving to before the next presidential election. We spent a lot of time warning against those systems here in Los Angeles and certainly for Georgia. Uh, But as I said uh, previously, it is to little avail. Last week, as the SAFE Commission was preparing to vote on which system they uh, will move to in Georgia, two dozen of the nation's preeminent computer science, security and voting systems experts sent a letter to the state's newly elected Republican Secretary of State and to the SAFE Commission essentially begging them to not uh, vote in favor of computer-marked barcoded ballots for Georgia. These uh, two dozen computer scientists wrote, we urge you, we write to urge you to follow the advice of election security experts nationwide. And then they list a lot of them, including the National Academies of Sciences, the Verified Voting Foundation, FreedomWorks. Yes, that FreedomWorks, the right-wing Koch brothers group, they're also against moving to another touchscreen system. They're joining with progressive election integrity groups here. The National Election Defense Coalition, uh, cybersecurity expert and a SAFE Commission member, Professor Wenke Lee. Uh, and the many states that are abandoning vulnerable touchscreen electronic voting machines in favor of hand-marked paper ballots as the best method for recording votes in public elections. The scientists write, our strong recommendation is to reject computerized ballot marking devices, except when needed to accommodate voters with disabilities that prevent them from hand-marking paper ballots. They note that although they... um, That although they are expensive and complex devices, computerized ballot markers perform a relatively simple function, recording voter intent on a paper ballot. BMDs, uh, ballot marking devices, BMDs share the pervasive security vulnerabilities found in all electronic voting systems, including the insecure paperless systems that are currently in use statewide in Georgia. These reasons alone, they write, should disqualify BMDs from widespread use in Georgia's elections, especially since there is a better alternative. Hand-marked paper ballots constitute a safer and less expensive method of casting votes. Handmarked paper ballots offer better voter verification that can be achieved than can be achieved with a computerized interface, a paper ballot that is indelibly marked by hand and physically secured from the moment of casting is the most reliable record of voter intent. A handmarked paper ballot is, they write, the only kind of record not vulnerable to software errors, configuration errors, or hacking. Uh, I'll uh, post this uh, letter from these uh, scientists at bradblog.com when I I post today's show there. 
Um, you know, they discuss that uh, touchscreens are seen as more modern devices, um, but that they are more dangerous devices and that when you use a ballot marking device that prints out a ballot summary card uh, with barcodes or QR codes, etc., it is an unauditable ballot. So, you know, we end up as bad as we started in Georgia and worse than we began uh, out here in Los Angeles. This is the system that Los Angeles County is going to. The one that all of these computer experts are warning against in Georgia, signed, as I said, by 24 computer scientists and security and voting systems experts, and which frankly leads like reads like a broadcast guest list from over the past 15 years or so. Uh, Rich DeMillo from Georgia Tech, who we just had on before the holidays. Uh, David Dill, the founder of Verified Voting. David Jefferson of Lawrence Liver Livermore National Laboratories. Uh, on and on. All sorts of people we've had on the show trying to offer these warnings. They offered that warning to the state of Georgia. And yet, despite those warnings to Georgia, L.A. County, as I said, is already moving to such a system unless they are somehow stopped. And Georgia, after the Safe Commission received that letter, held their vote on what to recommend to state legislators late last week. Joining us now to discuss that vote in Georgia and the unverifiable new system coming to Los Angeles and other jurisdictions around the country, which never seem to learn, is Marilyn Marks, a frequent guest on this program, a longtime election integrity expert advocate for free and fair elections, and the founder and executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization which uh, led several landmark court battles, battles last year, and still this year, regarding Georgia's 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Marilyn Marks, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you so much, Brad, and Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you. Uh, it seems like we're picking up uh, much of where we ended last year, although uh, arguably in Georgia, maybe worse. Uh, Marilyn, how did the yeah. Safe Commission ultimately vote on this matter last week when they had to uh, decide what recommendation to make to state lawmakers about the new voting system? Well, it's just as embarrassing as is California. Um, mm. They voted 13 to 3 to go with unauditable, unverifiable, new son of DREs is what I call them. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the just a, a newer version of the DRE system that um, is not going to be able to be audited. So this is something that both Georgia and California should be ashamed of, Brad. Yeah. Did you hear that South Carolina is introducing this week a bill to go to hand-marked paper ballots? Really? No BMDs. Yes. You know, they have been, like Georgia, a um, uh, all-DRE, paperless DRE state. Mm -hmm. They have had considerable pressure put on, and, um, you know, they are not going to hear of this silly BMD business. So the, the, they're, going with the, they're going with the system that cost about, you know, 20% as much as the BMD system and is auditable. So good for South Carolina, huh? Yeah, no, no kidding. I, I'm like, uh, yeah, that is kind of embarrassing that the state of South Carolina, who we have had to uh, be highly critical of for all sorts of things over the years, including their voting system, that they are going to hand-marked paper ballot. But Georgia and, yes, Los Angeles 
are going in the other direction. Uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Maryland, uh, reports that uh, except for election officials and lobbyists, every voter who made public comments last week on Thursday at the Safe Commission hearing before the vote, uh, they every single except for the election officials and lobbyists, all of the uh, speakers supported hand-marked paper ballots. Uh, the AJC says that while county election supervisors backed ballot marking devices, saying that they are similar to the touchscreens that voters are accustomed to. <laughs> yeah, what, that's what, the problem. What, well, what explains this divide between what voters apparently want and what elections officials, at least in Georgia and apparently here in L.A., what they uh, want when it comes to these systems? Well, I would say in Georgia, at least, there is a very strong lobbying effort by the largest vendor. Um, that, uh, that vendor may have a lot of influence with election officials, but their excuse has everything to do with what's convenient for the administrators, not what is best for voters or what gives a verifiable election. They say, oh, yes, this is just so much easier for us because we don't have all this paper to fool with. And you know what? There's never any question about the marks that are on that 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 we count. Um, we don't have to deal with any kind of messy paper marks. And they try to claim, Brad, which is so absurd, that people don't make mistakes when they use a touchscreen. All you need to do is look at my my Apple phone mm-hmm. to see that when people use a screen. Uh, at least I make a lot of mistakes, yeah. but it's a ridiculous it's a ridiculous proposition. And um, you know, I don't know how California um, talked themselves into doing something so foolish as to decide to put computers again between the voter and his or her ballot. And I mean, uh, doing that just invites problems. It, well, it does. And I'll have uh, I I uh, reached out to uh, the L.A. County. Uh, Registrar Recorder County Clerk Dean Logan for comment on this letter that was sent to Georgia to get his thoughts, and I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, We we do, at least this L.A. County system, in theory, will be publicly owned, unlike the privately owned, the private vendors that are hitting up Georgia, uh, salivating to sell these uh, millions, uh, tens of millions of dollars uh, in in computer uh, hardware. Right, Um, right. The AJC, again, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports that the uh, the vote came last week on the same week that uh, uh, Brian Kemp, the former secretary of state, now the new governor, that he announced that he was hiring former state rep Chuck Harper, a lobbyist for the state's current election vendor, ES&S, as his deputy chief of staff. Um, and, of course, they sell the same kind of voting systems that the commission recommended. Are you surprised at that, Marilyn Marks? Well, that was that was pretty shameless. But um, there's never really been any secret, um, not since 2002, about um, who um, who controls who controls the legislation. Um, It's it's pretty much ES&S, the big vendor. And yes, you're right. At least the L.A. system is publicly owned and uh, perhaps uh, perhaps all the more reason that the public ought to, um, to to put some pressure on just the way, as you point out. The Georgian Georgia voters put pressure on the safe commission here. It wasn't just the people you heard speak mm-hmm. um, on the live stream to the safe commission. Um, it there were hundreds and hundreds of letters that were sent by voters to the safe commission saying, "Please do not just modernize this piece of garbage that we have today." 
But uh, that is exactly what they did for whatever their reasons. And, and Brad, I guess I would just like to say that the point, the very, very simple point, that the journalists are missing and that the Safe, safe Commission and apparently L.A. pretends mm-hmm. that they're missing mm-hmm. is they all talk about they want elections that can be audited, right? Mm-hmm. How many times do we hear, oh, yeah, yeah, election must be able to be audited? Well, when you use these ballot marking devices, they can, the election cannot be audited because the source document is not an original transaction. It cannot be audited. Therefore, you cannot audit the results. The, the source, and, um, the, well, the source document in this case would be a, uh, a so-called paper ballot summary card that is printed by the computer. We don't know if it reflects the voter's choice or not. But uh, and, and we spoke with uh, uh, Rich DeMillo of, uh, of, of Georgia Tech about this before the holidays. You were involved in uh, this study that he released as well. Uh, basically, uh, in, in, in summary here, what did you discover about whether these computer printed ballots Ballots are actually and or correctly uh, verified by the voters after they're printed out and before they're dropped into the ballot box. As common sense would tell us about human nature, we don't like to do tedious tasks, Brad. And so I, I actually observed myself. I went out and did the kind of the first pilot on this research mm-hmm. and observed voters in Tennessee with ballot marking devices. Uh, and this was a brand new system to them, so you would have thought they would might be paid extra attention to what was coming out of the machine mm-hmm. before they went and cast the ballot. Now, I mean, the average time for people looking at their ballot was about three or four seconds. And, you know, we know that no one or not many people we know can review a 20, 30 item ballot yeah. and remember what the full content was and then remember whether that full content um, is reflected in their selections on the ballot. It's an absurd idea that most human beings can verify um, the, the piece of paper that comes out. And, of course, the whole idea is premised, um, the, the entire system is premised on the idea that, yes, it's auditable if every single voter is able to and agrees to verify that ballot summary card. Well, what do you do with this voter like me, Brad, because I can't remember 50 items standing in line um, with people standing in line behind me. And I'm, I'm trying to look at a, a, a list of 50 items and mm-hmm. remember whether or not the ballot had 48 on it yep. or 51. And did this, did this get them right? What are you going to do with me when I go, oh, I, I can't I can't verify my ballot. Do I have to go put my ballot in a separate ballot box for those of us who don't have photographic memory? And I will tell you, Marilyn, and you may recall this story from some years ago. It actually happened to me. We have a system here in L.A., uh, the previous system, before we moved to the new one, where if you're disabled or blind, you can use sort of an audio uh, mm-hmm. system to vote, and it prints out your selections. And guess what? Four out of 12 of my own votes were misprinted printed by the computer system, a computer system, by the way, made for blind people who would have never known that it was misprinted. Um, Of course. So this has happened to me directly. And I fear, Marilyn, I feel like this is, you know, there's a lot of stories in the broadcast that we cover that we say, hey, we've been yelling and screaming about this for years, whether it's election systems, uh, election fraud, uh, climate change, etc. I fear that this is when 
Georgia and when L.A. moved to these systems, we're going to be back here in four or five years, Maryland saying, see, told you we should be worried about this because there's no way to know if these ballots are you know, actually reflect the the intent of the boat of the voter. And please speak about how the fact that even if you do verify the uh, English uh, or the human printed, I should say, summary, the human readable summary, that's not what these systems actually use to count votes, right? That's right. <clears throat> that's right. And to do an audit, of course, as I said, everybody would have to verify. And there would have to be really robust auditing that, that, that would audit the human readable. But what's actually cast in the actual official vote is a barcode. Now, none of us can read barcodes. And so when I vote with, an, and I don't plan to, but if I were to vote using a what I call a barcode ballot, mm-hmm. a ballot summary card, yep. I don't know what vote I'm actually casting. Right. You know, I, I, I am testing a barcode, but what in the world does that barcode say? That, to me, is a constitutional violation. And, in fact, you're saying in three or four years you and I will be back into the I told you so mode? Yeah. I'm hoping that before that I can turn, Brad, to a, another lawsuit that would try to stop these things in their tracks. As you know, I have my plate full right now with three lawsuits, Mm -hmm. but that is the next one that I want to do, not necessarily in Georgia, but finding the best venue for it and try to stop this stuff on a federal constitutional voting rights uh, ground. We will not only. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, no, I was, I was not only, we will welcome you with open arms here in L.A., Maryland. We need help desperately <laughs> out here. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that, that there's not only the question of you're, you're, you're casting a barcode, not a vote that you can read. That's one problem. Mm-hmm. But the other problem is for the system to be auditable, for for your vote to be accountable, then you and every other voter are required to do the work to test the system, right? You're putting on on the voter the burden of verifying this very difficult to verify piece of paper and saying, in order for you to vote and for the for the system to work properly, you, Mr. Voter, have got to do this very hard task. It's worse than a literacy test. You know, can yeah. you remember the 50 items that were on your ballot? And um, as I understand it, you guys have some pretty wild, long ballot questions out we there. Do, we do out in Los Angeles. We certainly do. And it would be hard to notice if, uh, you know, one of my yeses was flipped to no's or wasn't included there at all. Uh, you know, and when I and especially, you know, after reading your study on this at one of the precincts out in uh, Georgia, I guess, and seeing that voters uh, averaged about three point nine seconds each in their review of the uh, of the computer printed ballots before they drop them in the box. Marilyn, I've got uh, just a, a minute or two here, but I want to get your response because I uh, touched base with uh, Dean Logan. He's the uh, registrar, recorder, Mm -hmm. county clerk out here in Los Angeles County. He's been leading up this fight. He's a good guy. I like uh, Dean a lot, but I Mm -hmm. am very disturbed about this, Uh, especially when I read that letter from scientists. um, You know, it sounds exactly what I've been trying to warn Dean Logan and voters about. So I sent him a query about that, uh, those scientists, their letters to Georgia. And uh, here is his response. In part, I want to get your uh, thoughts He says uh, there are key distinctions about the new L.A. County voting system 
initiative and the commercial vendor-based system being proposed in Georgia, the equipment uh, system components are, will be publicly owned and non-proprietary here in Los Angeles. Does that make any, uh, does that make you any more comfortable about the LA system, Marilyn Marks? Not if, not if you guys are going to vote with barcodes, it doesn't. Um, uh, I assume that he did not address uh, whether or not the system is auditable. Uh, well, he, you know, like everyone, they seem to say these systems are auditable, even though the scientists say otherwise. Uh, he also said, Dean Logan did in his response to me at uh, bradblog.com, he said the voting experience in L.A. County has to be addressed beyond an, a, an exclusively technical issue. Our, our electorate has been very clear. We need to address universal accessibility issues, language issues that are broader than in any other jurisdiction in the country, ballot design and usability, etc. In fact, Marilyn, we do have a lot of language requirements for voters here in yes, L.A. I, Should that be a I consideration uh, worthy of, of what these computer scientists warn as a, an unauditable system? Um, you know, Brad, to me, that says all the more reason for paper ballots. I helped a lot of um, Asian voters, with uh, Vietnamese, but a lot of languages here in um, uh, Gwinnett County who needed to vote on a mail ballot because they did not feel comfortable trying to, um, to vote um, at a machine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they wanted the chance to be able to work, work their way through a paper ballot at home Thinking about um, thinking about the uh, what's in front of them, mm -hmm. and so all the more reason not to be on a machine, I think. But again, um, when we think about the major problem with the system, it is the one if the voters cannot every single person verify that that the machine was working properly, then the system is not auditable, and I think that's what people need to worry about. As we are adding so many computers to the system. Mm -hmm then we're reducing the level of confidence that we can have. And then when we have, it just, it, it increases the need for, for an audit, of course. Yep. But yet that audit's not possible. And I know I'm repeating myself here, but uh, I think that that is the essential thing for, for people to understand. And I know our journalists here in Georgia are not understanding that. And in fact, you're right. The Republicans are trying to keep control of the system and they will not look at the science out here, at least. And I should note, Marilyn Marks uh, is a Republican herself. Since you speak about a well, cook, well, not a very happy one, but I'm still registered. I know. Well, I, I I didn't mean to insult you by pointing that out, Marilyn. <laughs> it is I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, a voter at the uh, SAFE Commission, uh, Regina Smith was her name, uh, reportedly testified last week, quote, when citizens lose confidence and faith in our elections, when we the people doubt that our vote is accurately recorded and counted, and when we believe that people are disenfranchised, our very democracy and indeed our country is grievously wounded. This is why I know I've been reporting on this and talking about this for so long. Marilyn Marks, I, uh, I suspect you share that sentiment. So, uh, you know what? It needs to be repeated. People need to know. I'd point folks here to lavote.net. Um, if they want more information on the new system coming to L.A. and to let uh, Dean Logan know your thoughts on it. Uh, last question for you, uh, Marilyn, in Georgia. Is that fight now over? Is this now a done deal? 
Oh, heavens no. That was chapter one. The fight has just begun because now it is going to a much higher profile um, place, and that is it's going to the legislature now. And I would I would expect that the hearing rooms are going to be running over with people this year. The voters, in fact, one thing you couldn't see on the live stream, Brad, for the, uh, for the, the Georgia Faith Commission meeting mm-hmm. is – they had so many people, so many voters there, they had to go into overflow rooms. Mm. So I would expect the legislators are going to see that and see the voters demanding an accountable system. So this fight is not over. We've only just begun here. Glad to hear it. And again, those voters were all 201 calling for hand-marked paper ballots, while the lobbyists and election officials uh, wanted this privatized, uh, unverifiable system. Marilyn Marks, follow and please support her good and so important work uh, at the Coalition for Good Governance. You bet. That's coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. You can find her delightful Twitter feed uh, at Marilyn R Marks one. Uh, if you want to get up to speed on this, we need all of you in the fight. Marilyn Marks, thanks for joining us today. I suspect we'll be talking to you again soon. Oh, I hope so, Brad. Thank you. you Bye-bye bet. now. Thank you. All right. We are running late, so let me uh, get out here. i got to take a quick break. If you have some uh, thoughts or some questions on what we just spoke about or anything else going on in the news today, I'd love to hear from you. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. All right, welcome back to your Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yelling and screaming at you, driving me crazy. Uh, you can also, by the way, drop me uh, a tweet if you like. I am the Brad Blog on the Twitters. Let's go to uh, some of your calls at 818-985-5735. I don't have a lot of time for it, but I'm going to try. Erin in Tarzana. Hey, Erin, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to say the simplest way of dealing with barcodes and non-paper ballots is to go into a mail-in system the way that Oregon did. Um, That's a... I mean, L.A. County could do it. I, that, they're not going to want to, but, I mean, well, let's face it. And, and nobody shows up at the precinct. Some are, uh, people are either waiting in line or nobody shows up. The way they've allocated these are, it, are totally not cost-effective. So I think we have to go eventually to a mail-in system, mail-only. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate that. And uh, turn down your uh, radio next time you call in because it makes it a little bit harder uh, to hear with that on. I will only say this. Uh, we already have a huge vote-by-mail contingent here in, um, here in uh, Los Angeles and, of course, across California entirely. Uh, oversight of vote-by-mail systems 
is not easy, in fact, endangers uh, the uh, accuracy of the results and the ability for the uh, uh, the people to know that the votes were counted accurately. I know we're going to hear from a lot of people in Oregon who loved that system. Uh, Oregon, Washington, uh, Colorado are now using mostly vote by mail. Uh, we will be doing that. We already are doing that out here in California. Um, even there, of course, it is a hand-marked paper ballot. It might be better than the computer-marked barcodes, but at least while we still have precinct-based voting, and I hope we continue to have precinct-based voting for a long time, unfortunately, we're also moving to voting centers where they pull all of these, uh, where you can like basically vote anywhere. They pull precincts together, making it even harder for the public to oversee our elections. That's why I say we're moving in the wrong direction here. Um, but, uh, Aaron, I, I appreciate your thoughts and your call on that. Uh, do we have time? I Yeah, we're running late. Let me uh, do one more. It wouldn't be a broadcast uh, phone show without Morris from Long Beach. Morris, can you give it to us in about 15 seconds here, brother? I don't need that much, man. Listen, when the, Mr. Barr goes before the Senate for his uh, grilling, all the senators have to do for the Democratic Party is don't focus on what he's doing with Trump, if he's going to let him go or not. Ask him if he's going to give people pardons like he did under Herbert Walker Bush. Okay, should the FBI report say that people should go to jail? Ask this man, are you going to be giving out pardons? That's concerning. You, uh, you bet. That's concerning Attorney General uh, nominee William Barr, uh, who on Tuesday is uh, testifying to the Judiciary Committee in his uh, confirmation hearings. All right. Sorry we had to run short. Sorry we couldn't get to everyone here today. Uh, but we will be back tomorrow with another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. I hope you will join me then. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. As I note on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I hope to see you there. My thanks today to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator D'Angelo Jones to my guest today Marilyn Marks from the Coalition of for Good Governance and of course to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us that is it until we meet again tomorrow I'm Brad Friedman this is the Bradcast good luck world I can't stand this in.